Welcome to the GPS Training Podcast, the monthly podcast keeping you up to date with everything in the world of outdoor GPS navigation. Podcast. It's our 78th episode. It's our November edition, and I'm again joined by Andy, our tech guy at GPS Train. So, welcome, Andy, to this month's podcast. Hello. Have you been up too much over the last month? Running courses. We've been doing our last uh, GPS training courses of the year. Um, been down in Gloucester and last week. It's both SatMap and Garmin courses you did, didn't you? Yeah, so a mixture um, one SatMap course and a Garmin two day course down in Gloucestershire. Very good. Excellent. Good, so in this month's GPS training podcast, we have another update on SatMap. So SatMap have now officially announced uh, what is going on, so we're going to discuss that at a little bit further length. As we also go into the darker nights, we're going to look at what we should be looking at for when you're looking at a head torch. And with Garmin um, in the last month hitting 10,000 in-reach SOS instance, we look how these have all been broken down. And then finally, we have Andy's top tips. So, without further ado, let's get on with this month's GPS Training Podcast. So, SatMap. After we um, told the world back in August on our podcast about what was going on at SatMap, um, yeah, many of you kindly uh, took up the offer of buying the accessories we had on the shelf. Also, um, we mentioned a couple of times in our podcast um, but again, SatMap, in their wisdom, um, just managed to tell everybody in the last few weeks what is going on um, with them. And we had a lot of people ringing up after hearing this news. So we thought we'll just quickly go over what we know about SatMap. Um, and yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll keep you all updated. So first of all, Andy, SatMap GPS units. If people don't know what SatMap GPS units are. What are they? And what were the main benefits of this British-made GPS unit? Yes, SatMap started around, I think it was approximately 15 years ago, and they were the first company to put a GPS handheld GPS device with Ordnance Survey maps. So this is for Great Britain. So I know they launched <coughs> at a, an outdoor show, showing the showcasing the it was the SatMap Active 10 going back probably about 15 years ago. Um, or oh, that's when the development started. So it might have been a bit uh, not quite as far back. But they launched the unit with Ordnance Survey maps, purely push button unit. Um, and then a number of years later, they brought out the SatMap Active 12, still using the Ordnance Survey maps as the main, that, that was their main sales by having a, um, a higher resolution Ordnance Survey map. Other manufacturers sort of caught on to this and Garmin and other manufacturers at the time started also producing Ordnance Survey maps where they really or where we think they excelled was the maps as soon as you got onto the SatMap Active 12, they became high resolution rather than raster maps and then the latter unit that came out was it about four years ago five yeah, years ago longer i think five years it was the ago. active 20 so they brought out a unit that was both touch touchscreen and push button for some nice new features but again using the high resolution map so i think what customers really liked was that the ordnance survey map especially when using the 1 to 25 more detailed explorer maps as you zoomed in really close they stayed nice and sharp and crisp because of that higher resolution um, image that you had that's exactly um, right so that was the big selling point wasn't it? the hd yeah. maps people like n there's no other gps manufacturer before or since created anything with mm. that that quality of and screen the on british it. company um 
units were predominantly for hikers and walkers. I know some mountain bikers used them. They didn't have a lot of the fitness features that we'd maybe see on another manufacturer likes of Garmin. Turn-by-turn routing for sort of cycling and other things that we do with the units. Road navigation, they weren't really designed for that. We always saw it as a as a hiker and walkers unit predominantly just were high resolution maps and fairly simple to use you know um, mm. so it was a good product and sadly earlier on this year they ceased trading so um they they couldn't find enough capital to develop the next model so they decided that they were going to uh, leave the marketplace um and, and i say we, we mentioned this back in august we kind of knew about it a, a few months before then so they they announced um, a couple of weeks ago themselves, and our phone has been ringing ever since. So I thought I'm going to answer, or Andy's going to answer, some of the most common questions we've been asked from SatMap users. So first one, Andy, will SatMap Expedition continue? People don't know this is SatMap's software, route planning software, isn't it? So Andy, will it continue? Yeah, as far as we're aware, yes. I mean, the information we received is the same as customers. Um, we got a newsletter obviously explaining how the you know they're struggling to get parts into manufacturer uh the act of 20 to take the product forward um, and they did mention on that email that the low satmap systems limited is coming to an end there's still customer support available which we'll mention as we go down the questions but they also mentioned on that same email that i'm sure customers would have received as a newsletter from satmap directly that expedition 2 and the Explorer app will also continue, be updated and improved by a new team called SatMap Software Systems. I know when you look, you know, if you do your, your research, like we always do, there is a company there, SatMap Software Systems. So as far as we're aware, um, yes, we know there's other options. I mean, a lot of our customers do use other potentially non-subscription options for planning routes. You've got our free OS planner directly on the GPS training website. So I think going forward even if something was to stop and they weren't to continue even though at the minute i would say 100 percent yes it is still being continued there is other options out there to plan routes mm-hmm. i think you mentioned this on the course after the course this weekend uh, you're doing what i'm doing on courses now at the start of a satmap course we say who's using expedition if there's people using expedition we'll teach it yeah. but if not we tend to go onto our route planning software, yeah. aren't we? And I think the, when you do the training on the SatMap, because the newer Active 20 doesn't need a special third-party, um, sorry, SatMap software to communicate with your, um, your computer. So with the SatMap Active 20, which is the unit really we've sold over the last three or four years, you can plug it into a computer. It's just seen as a memory device and you can just copy and paste gpx files onto it from any planning software you use so i know on the course i did in gloucestershire the customers weren't aware of the expedition app they never used it they weren't really wanting to subscribe for anything so when i showed them our free os route planner on our gps training homepage, they were happy just to go forward with that and then copy and paste the gpx files directly into the memory of the unit excellent so the second question we've been asked a lot Will the app continue? Because I know they, they developed an app um, and, and, and we've, yeah, we've downloaded yeah, it. I mean, we them. don't deal with the app because it wasn't something we could sell. You had to buy that directly through SatMap. The website's still there with a link to the app. Now, whether the website link will change, as in in the future, you'll go onto SatMap, you know, SatMap's website and it'll say, oh, redirecting you to the software to purchase. You might see that happen again. We haven't been given any more information than customers. But the app, again, just going back to that email, sorry, I mentioned before, it said Expedition 2 
and Explorer app will continue to be updated and improved and supported by the SatMap software system. So again, I'm assuming that is going to continue going forward from the email we've received. I'm thinking as a, as a business person, actually, why would they not? Because actually it's quite cheap for them to produce. They've already developed it. There'll be software updates there. And again, going back to Expedition 2 and also the app is there'll be very low input really. Yeah, there's no it? hardware required, so you're not having to buy products. So it'd be good that, you know, if they do continue with that, it's nice to see that there's still something there from what was a nice company to deal mm-hmm. with at the end of the day, you know. I'll answer the next two questions. The next two questions were maybe to refer to stock was, have you got any spare batteries? The answer is no. <laughs> the question we get asked, um, will you be getting any more batteries in stock? The answer is no. I've <laughs> got no spare We've got no spare batteries. batteries. So when we mentioned it back in August, again, we printed a couple of newsletters. Our batteries literally flew off the shelf. Any AA battery adapters flew off the shelf. And this is the most common question people are ringing up. So have you got any spare batteries? So, Andy, I suppose you can answer the next question. What will happen when my current battery fails? If your current battery fails and you were able to purchase one of the... AA emergency battery packs of course you'll still be able to use that if your battery fails um customer actually asked me on the course on the weekend could you plug an emergency power pack in that will allow you to turn your unit on of course do you really want to be walking along with a pack hanging out the back but it would allow the unit to work at the end of the day if the battery's failed and you can't get another one other than putting an emergency power pack in you're not going to be able to use it it's whether i don't know if this will happen and there's no promise or guarantee with the older active 10s and 12s they then became a third party market on likes of ebay and that Mm -hmm. for batteries the same with a lot of products we buy out there i've seen them with garmin batteries as well someone in asia um, tends to be the far east um will copy a manufacturer's battery and then sell their version of it and you know i'm not saying they guarantee to use them are they going to work i know some customers will have bought third-party batteries that weren't made by the manufacturer don't know if that will happen with the sat map the only thing with the sat map it was the active 12 was really just a little battery pack with a cable mm-hmm. whereas the you've got that plastic casing for the active 20 and it's whether there's any rights or patents to copy that the only possibility is when you look inside the casing there is just a battery a lipol battery made by a third party sitting in there i have been having a little dig around to see if there's any way we can source those but at the minute i'm struggling to find mm-hmm. the exact battery if that changed we would obviously let customers know if we did manage to find that cell component mm-hmm. that sits inside but at the minute we we haven't managed to it's just interesting actually it just it just triggers a thought in my mind I had a customer who rang up last week and ordered and i you're gonna to have to tell me what it is it's the flatter battery packs that has the number of USB connections just to the left of your desk, Andy, on the top of the cabinet. What are they called? <laughs> oh, oh no. you've got me thinking now. I've got one at home as You have well. got one at home. They're not a bad... <clears throat> yeah. Not and they... He was... And he's going to quickly look up on his mobile phone as we do. I'm going to go on our website. And, and, um, and, and the customer's Come buying on. it because he said what his solution was, he's got an aqua pack. And he said it would sit behind the GPS unit, yeah. plugged into the bottom with the aqua pack. So he's got the cable coming out the bottom, going into these power packs, which are very thin and quite slim. That sits behind the GPS unit, puts it all in an aqua pack, and that solves the problem. It is. Yeah, that's some. So, that, and, and and I kind of thought, oh, that's a that's a that's a good option. Yeah, because um, I know the ones we're talking about. It's the BioLite ones. The BioLite ones. I was trying to say that BioLite. Well that done. was it. The yellow and grey ones. They mm. haven't got the same IP rating as say like so the Gold Zero ones, but they're good. I mean, they've got a great power output. The bigger ones. 
and they are quite slim i mean i use one at home so yeah that's not a bad idea and in a big aqua pack sack yep. i know it's not ideal but at least it keeps your unit exactly going right and that was his, his i think he was going to use his battery when it yeah. did go flat that was his solution to do it, it. Yeah. and again so if you get a bio pyre pack you can also keep your mobile phone going and other other such things as well i think if it was me if i saw on ebay or anywhere any of those double a emergency battery yeah. packs that i know we haven't got now i would jump and get one you know mm-hmm. So that moves on to the next question, which, do you have any accessories? The answer is yes, we have carry cases, lanyards, backplates. If people don't know, it uses the quad lock system to put onto bicycle mounts, and you need what's called a backplate, which we've got plenty of those. We've got the quad lock accessories, which are belt clips, car mounts, uh, bicycle, bicycle mounts, mounts, both out front ones and ones that go on the stem as well. So we do have an, a number of accessories. Um, I've actually just ordered some more quad lock accessories, which are arriving today, believe it or not, because a lot of people are buying and stocking up uh, why, why they're still there and the key thing is you need to make sure you got this back plate for them to work don't yeah, you? So you buy if you've got a sat map and you didn't buy the quad lock plate and you want to mount it on a bike on the belt clip we sell the little metal plate so you won't get the, i don't know if I think sat map have got those now but we've got plenty yeah. of those so you can buy that metal plate from us to put any quad lock accessory on including the ones that we stock as well excellent and then the quick, or the quick, <coughs> excuse me, the other quick question is: Are sat map um, or anybody else going to get the overseas mapping? Again, this is something that a lot of customers have been ringing you up about. And as far as I'm concerned, the answer is no. No, they've got no. They only had the the GB map cards left in stock, and our understanding from what we were told when they're gone, they're gone. I think the only way you're going to find overseas mapping is looking for second-hand ones on eBay. And always be careful if you're buying it and you've got the newer Active 20, you need to make sure it's a micro SD card version that comes out of the SD card adapter. Because sometimes you see on eBay someone selling an overseas map card, but it's the solid large SD card that will only work in the Active 10s and 12s. But there will be a market on eBay because people, of course, will have bought a foreign map card to go to another country. Mm-hmm. They're not going back to that country um, for whatever. You know, they've done it as a holiday. They'll sell them on eBay. That, that's your best bet, really. If we get any in, you know, sometimes we get trade-ins in. Um, I know you're going to mention that later. You know, if we get map cards, we put them on up for sale. We sold a few recently, you know. Mm-hmm. The next question, I think you've already answered, is can you still get tech support from SatMap? Yep, so um, again, I'm just going back to the newsletter we got, the same as customers. That was basically, I'll just read it out word for word as the newsletter came through that. If you'd signed up to SatMaps newsletters, a low SatMap systems limited is coming to an end. Customer support will continue. You can reach us at, and the two email addresses we have is info at satmap.com or for the tech support, it would be tech support at satmap.com. Fantastic. So get in touch with them if you've got any questions and they'll hopefully be able to help you out. And then the final question that people have been asking, are SatMap still honouring their warranties? Well, the SatMap units had a year's warranty and we haven't had any returns for quite some time. But we did have, I don't know, maybe four or five months ago, I had a probably a couple of units where they developed faults and they were still within their year's warranty. You have to deal with SatMap directly. So you would email SatMap at one of those email addresses I've given you to request a... Um, sending the unit to them to have a replacement. And as far as we're aware, they haven't said anything different. If you still had a unit within its year's warranty, they were honouring those warranties the last time we checked. So again, you would need to check yourself by emailing info at satmap.com. But as far as we're aware, if it's still within the year's warranty, yes. 
Very good. And finally, you just mentioned, Andy, and you brought, brought it to the fore, which is um, a lot of people are trading in the SatMap GPS unit. So a lot of people said, well, this is an opportunity. I've had it for a few years. I'm going to upgrade to a, a, a or, or change to a Garmin, whether it's upgrade or downgrade, we can discuss. So a lot of people have been training in their SatMap GPS units. Um, again, if you go to our website, just find the product you're interested in. So look at the various products. And you'll see underneath, um, underneath the product, uh, there's like I think it says the the, um, the features you get from GPS training, and in there there's a link saying want to trade in a GPS unit. Just fill in a, a short form, it's kind of telling us what what condition the unit's in, whether you've got a box, what mapping you've got with it, etc. And usually within 24 or 48 hours, we'll email you a trading price if you're wanting to trade it in. So I know a few people have been looking on. Well, actually. I'm wanting yet another year or two hours of it. I might as well just trade it in now and, and upgrade. Yeah. And so. It's got to be a working unit. And we always say, I mean, especially with the battery situation, even though you know that might change in the future, we'll always ask you, you know, is the battery charging okay? Because we're not going to take a unit that's got dead batteries or no batteries at the end of the day. We've got to sell it on as a working unit that's still charging fine. So we'll always ask you those questions. And the other thing as well, just before people start jumping on that, is there's not a great value in SatMap Active 10s and 12s anymore because they are that older unit. Um, I'll be honest with you we tend not to take them as trainings unless there's something really special about them because an active 10 as Andy was saying is near enough 15 years old now so there's there's no value in, in anything we've like donated that. them to local guides and scout groups and we've had active 10s and even the 12s come in as well so and that's something we say to a lot of you guys you now if you've got an older unit you no know, even old Garmin units there's very little value in something that's really old but as Andy rightly says, there's a lot of community groups, guide groups, scout groups and things who are just looking for a grid reference, they're ideal for, aren't yep. they? So I know we've donated them to our local uh, groups. So again, think of it locally. If you've got an old GPS unit, you know, get in touch with the scout leader and say, oh, would you be interested in it? Hey, why don't you go along and show them even how to use it? Yeah. Been on. <laughs> That's what I did. <laughs> so our local guides for my daughter. But, yeah, uh, so and yeah, went geocaching with the local guides. So yeah, so think about that again. Um, again, if something's literally ten or fifteen years old, there's very little value. Often the postage of it and the seller fees um, when we sell it, it kind of wipes out any value of that. One of the things with SatMap, I know this is why John was doing this bit of the podcast, we got a lot of calls with people who had never even bought anything off us just because they saw we had SatMap on our website questioning us and we're not really the... We've got the same answers that you guys would have received on email. Um, you know, a few people say, no, the company can't just go out of business, not happy with that. What are you going to do about it? Well, it's not our decision, you know. So please, you know, obviously, if you have got queries, um, obviously, you know we're here to help you. If you bought stuff off us, we always will do that. But the best place to get the answers of what's happening going forward is still going to be info at satmap.com. Fantastic. Right. So that's sat map kind of sealed up. So thank you very much. Again, uh, if anybody's got any further questions, let us know. But as Andy says, the best port of call really is contacting SatMap directly. The next thing on this month's GPS training podcast is torches. With the clocks changing last weekend, I see Mountain Rescue have rightly started a large campaign telling everybody they should be carrying a head torch as we can easily be caught out at this time of year as the nights draw in. I know when we finished work at five o'clock last night, Andy, it was pitch black, wasn't I know. it? The <laughs> shock with the clocks going back. Yeah. It was like as we wander. And it just really made you think, you now you go out walking this time of year, more than likely you are going to get caught out unless you're super planned, aren't you, really? Yeah. Um, so again, so what we're going to do is we're not going to review head torches because it, um, there's lots of head torches on the market. What we're going to look at is really the main features or the main things we should be looking at uh, when we're thinking about buying a head torch. So the first thing is 
brand, isn't it? No, look for a reputable brand, Andy. Yeah, I mean, there's so many out there. You know, I mean, I've bought, you know, I've been in the supermarket and bought head torches for five or six quid. And to be honest, for going out uh, where I live, there's no street lights, and for going out my back lane and putting something in the bins or getting something out my garage, they're great. But I'm not necessarily going to take them out in the hills hiking maybe walking the dog i might get away with them but not that i own a dog by the way but uh, you know what i mean there's loads out there and you can't we're not saying you have to spend a fortune but i think if you're going to put something in your rucksack for safety and backup look for something that is branded we have a couple of brands that we stock that we know there's other brands out there there's a load of choice there but it's looking at some of the pointers that we're going to sort of run through now with what you should be really looking for Good quality choice. We'll tell you a funny story here, Andy. I don't think you know this. Was um, I think the week before? Oh, you do know. The week before last, we were looking after a friend's house. Um, uh, Catherine, who does our books, lives yeah. in the middle of nowhere as a farmer, and she went. They went away on holiday, so we looked after their uh, house for them when they're away. And as in many places in Northumberland, they're not on mains electricity. They're in the middle of nowhere. They yeah. run off generators. Um, and one night, everything just went black. Everything just went black. Went okay. Right, we need to find a torch now and head out to the house to find this generator. <laughs> so I stumbled into her kitchen and there on the side was some torches she'd bought for her kids for Christmas off ourselves at GPS training. Yeah. So there was there, a fine good old quality head torch. I could put it on my head, confidently go out, find the generator, find out it actually run out of diesel and then transfer everything onto yeah. a backup generator. <laughs> so it's quite funny. I kind of were quite impressed when I came back into the house, you know, half an hour later and my wife said... I'm impressed with Catherine. She had to talk. She had. She bought the kids yeah. some head torches. We, we, I mean, we live where I live. There's no street lights, you know. And if ever, all your neighbours have got lights turned off, certainly later in the evening, uh, I've got head torches to hand all the time. Mm-hmm. So the first thing we're looking at, I, we're looking at brand, good quality brand. There's lots available. And as Andy says, you know, if you think about going out into the hills, you really take it serious and get something that's a reputable brand, isn't it? Lumens. So, lumens um, is the way we measure how bright a head torch is, isn't it? Yeah, so the higher number of lumens, the brighter the torch is. Because um, sometimes you've got to think it's not always about people seeing you, it's you being able to see. It's, it's, it's a twofold thing. If you want people just to see you, you don't necessarily need mega bright lumens. But if you want to see in the distance, brighter is potentially better. I tend to, I mean, I've just used this as a guideline. If I was just wanting people to see me and it's more for being seen, a head torch that, you know, potentially 100 lumens, 200 lumens, something like that. I know you can get them slightly lower, but that's you being seen. But I think as soon as you start going into the hills and it's you wanting to see uneven ground and something ahead of you, you want to be looking at the 300 lumen and higher. We've, we've got to think, I know we're going to talk as we go further down about battery life. So you, that comes into play a little bit when you look at the lumen level. But when you look at these torches, some, I mean, some of the cheap ones I've bought, you look at them and I think actually they're probably only are about, only are, sorry, about 50 lumens. So putting the bin out, just about get away with it. I can see a few metres ahead and someone would be able to see me fine, but it's not going to help me navigate. So you're looking at that higher number and I would say you want to start at sort of 300 lumens for going in the hills. But then that nicely ties into the next thing, which is battery life, is because the brighter the head torch is, the poorer your battery life is going to be, isn't it really? Yeah, so different options of batteries. So a lot of units will take, um, it seems to be tend to be AAA batteries with a head torch. So you'll have ones with AAA batteries. You do get rechargeable ones. We stock rechargeable ones, but then you've got to make sure it's recharged. Do you buy a second 
battery to keep two batteries charged. Um, one of the brands we sell, I quite like the fact you can actually put a rechargeable battery in or it'll take three double A's, sorry, three triple A's. So you've got to mix and match. So you've got to think about your batteries and the higher the lumens, if you keep it on that high setting, it is going to use more, more battery. So you've got to look at the figures because different units will quote different figures. It's always wise to look at temperatures as well because they'll quote, quote figures based on temperature. And when we're into this time of year, especially in, you know, in other countries as well you're going to be starting to get down into minus temperatures so you've got to think about your batteries then what what the life's going to be when it's colder yeah because that's a thing we have to take consider with anything don't we really the colder it is that uh, just destroys battery life doesn't it? or it makes it a lot poorer anyway doesn't it yeah other thing that a lot of you a lot of um head torches have is this what's called a boost mode isn't it so what's the boost mode that we find on a number of these ones yeah so the head torches will have a lumen that their standard lumen is that they work to and then some of them will have a boost where you're pressing the button for it may just be for 10 seconds or something and it boosts that lumen to a really high figure just to see a much bigger distance potentially you know something like i'm thinking top of my head is 750 lumen i think it was about 80 meters so you suddenly need to see that big distance but then after so many seconds it'll drop off so you're not drawing the battery down so ones with boost are great for that so if you have bought a torch with a lower lumen but it has a boost mode that's a great feature while we're talking about the boost mode and we've just talked about batteries i think one of the important things for me is looking at a torch that has that lumen that you want for your hiking, you know, I talked about 300 lumens, but has options to turn it down, you know, where you mm -hmm. have various settings, because there is going to be that time where you think, well, actually, I'm on a steady bit of ground here, it's flat, and by it, it could be, um, you know, you've come off it, um, come off the beaten track a bit and you're more on a, a, a bridle way that hasn't got all the bumps and humps of a off-road and you just want to see a little bit ahead and you don't need that 50 metres ahead so something that you can turn down so you're just looking directly in front of you to save that battery and then you've got the option either the ones with a boost or an option a, a variable setting that allows you to adjust I think is important you know mm. and I think that, as you rightly say it's that variable section is what we're looking for isn't it because actually it varies according to how, how much moon that there is out that, that yeah. night, how dark it actually is. So I, I was just thinking there when I, I did one of my walks down the Northumberland coast in this time of year, you know, it, on the beach, it was quite bright. Yeah. And therefore you just had the head torch on the lowest settings just to see what was immediately in front of you. But that boost was absolutely stunning because you could literally boost it, look towards the sand dunes because you were looking for the gaps yeah. where you were coming off the beach, yeah. if that makes sense. And you were down where the water is, you're looking, looking many, well, 100 or 150 yards and that boost was amazing. So when I did the Montane Spine Challenger in June, I mean, it's a lighter time of year, but you're going right the way through the night. And I know it was about two o'clock in the morning, I think, and I was like, oh, that's pretty dark, head torch on. And then actually wait there, it's not as dark as I thought it was because it was a lovely full moon. Mm -hmm. And I still wanted the head torch on. Um, and most of people could see me coming, you know, other people taking part in the event. And I think I had it down to about the 50 lumen setting, mm -hmm. so I wasn't using a lot of battery, but I didn't really need it, the full beam because of the... Um, the moonlight but again you know we, we were talking about uh navigation having this torch with the 300 lumens it's not always about your walking and hiking it's when you suddenly something happens and you need to get something yeah. out of your rucksack forget yeah. about that that's what i tended to use mine a lot for right i want some food out now i'm doing this nighttime walk you didn't need it on mega bright to just shine down to look into your rucksack to get something out you mm -hmm. know excellent and then weight is also 
very significant as well. Again, if it, it's it's not a, that big a factor. You sort of, sort of put it on for an hour at the end of the day when it goes dark from five to six o'clock or something like that. But if you're wearing it all night, weight is is yeah. I mean, really. there's some very very lightweight torches out there, but often they'll be ones with a smaller aluminium because they've got a smaller bulb. I tend to look at most of the ones I've worn have been round about the. 100, 100 grams, 120 grams, which is pretty comfortable, to be honest, you know. I'm going to mention something when we got some features at the end where you can save a bit of weight on your head. But yeah, I mean, th if you're looking at some of the brands and you see one that's 200 grams, you'd be thinking, um, that's a bit heavy. You want something, I know everyone's different personally, but I'd be looking around the sort of 120 grams, roughly, you know. That's a decent weight, you know, not too heavy. I think the next thing kind of relates really more to just the cheaper head torture is how waterproof is that head torture. It is on your head. Your head's going to be getting wet if it's a wet, horrible day. I think most, I'm going to say professional head torches or good quality ones will be 100% waterproof. They'll have an IP rating. Um, it's interesting, some of the torches I've seen, they haven't got as high a rating as I thought. Right. But I've not had any issues with any, well, you know, the ones we sell, certainly. And I think what you'll find is a cheaper torch, like my £6 Sainsbury's Energizer torch, has no variable settings. And the there probably isn't even an IP rating, which um, anyone doesn't know IP stands for ingress protection rating. So anything that's used outdoors where it's potentially going to be in all weathers has a rating. The higher the numbers means you've got a higher waterproof rating so i know sort of the models we sell tend to be something like an ip x4 5 5 being the better one over the four because it's you know rained on no problem i know you can potentially look and think well you know it's not going to be something that's going to be submerged in water and i've never had an issue with any of the ones that we do in in heavy rainfall to be honest mm -hmm. but look for something that has got at least an ip rating yeah, brilliant and then some of them have yeah, other little features on them as well, don't they? Yeah, features are like, um, I suppose there's a few features, and we're going to go on to that when we talk about a couple that we recommend. But I've got a head torch that's got a red LED that flashes on the back. That's great for me when I go trail running because people can come up behind me if I'm in an event, can see me. A lot of the events we've done, like the Monte and Spine, actually, um, you've got to have a red LED on the back of your rucksack, you know. So things like that are useful. You sometimes see those as features. Some will explain a little bit about how the beam works. Um, one of the ones that I use has this special beam where part of it's looking right down in front of you and part of it further ahead. So it's really good when you're doing faster activities like trail running. So sometimes you just get these extra little features and when you really you didn't me think ah oh, yeah that's that, i can see where i'd use that we mentioned earlier about ones with different settings i think having one with different lumen settings is going to help with your battery because you don't always need it on full so again you could look at that as an extra because a cheaper torch maybe doesn't have those extra settings and i think my favorite one that i've found i'm going to leave so when we go on to the, a couple that we sort of recommend you know and i'll mention that feature then well we'll do that now so we'll look at first of all at the best budget head torch so again best budget head torch if, if you're just looking for a spare like a head torch just in case but i think still for the hills yeah I, i'm looking you know you know best budget head torch for going out my backyard and putting something in the bins probably is a six pound energizer one from the supermarket so we're basing this on something that you are going to use in the outdoors with an ip rating and yes it is based on the ones we sell we haven't got other ones to test we sell a couple of different models so in the range that gps training and shepherd's walk sell and um, we have a range called nebo um it's sort of our more budget range and we've got one called a nebo 750 
and that one has a 250 lumen so it's not far off that 300 lumen so I, I think you can get away with this one especially if you're on a budget because one thing it does have when we talk about extra features it has this boost so you can boost it to 750 lumen which gives i think it's i'm sure it's something like 80 meters distance so just for that 10 seconds or so you want to see further ahead you boost it and then you can drop it back down to the 250 lumen. And top of my head, it does actually drop down to a lower setting as well. So it has that adjustment for keeping your battery going. And it comes in at £28.99. So I know it's not a £6 energizer for putting the bins out. But I think for walking in the hills, you're wanting to spend a little bit more money. But it's not quite as, you know, it's, it's in that more budget range compared to some of the higher end ones that we stock. I agree. I think it's a really nice, nice yeah. head towards. Keep there in your rucksack just in case. And, and again, you've got, what, five hours of battery life at 250 lumens. So you've got plenty of battery yeah. life. Has, has an IP rating, IPX4, 110 grams. So I said round about the 120 grams. So again, it's not too heavy considering it's got that bulb that will allow a boost of uh, 750 lumens. And then the best top end head torch and the price of that one Andy so I know this is my personal recommendation but it's just some of the extra features that I've already sort of mentioned that I'm going to mention one of my sort of I think it's a nice one and it's something different I haven't seen on other head torches I've tried in the past is I've got a one made by Silva so again it's a it's a well-known brand for the compasses Swedish brand making silver compasses for years it's called the trail runner free the one that I'm using it's a 400 lumen so it that's um over the 300 lumen that I tend to recommend if you're in the hills. Weight, actually that 119 grams, I said about 120 grams, so that was a good guess. IPX5, so it's got a higher IP rating of the Nebo. So when you think, well, why would I spend the extra money on this one? Because it is coming in at um, 68.99. For me, it's the higher IP rating. It has a feature called dual um, intelligent beam, where especially for trail running, it's got double beam now. In fact, the Nebo has two beams, but they're just basically pointing the same. So don't confuse it. When you see something with double beam, doesn't necessarily mean it's intelligent beam. The way the silver trail runner works, one of the beams is slightly more uh, directly down from where you are, and then the other one further in front. So I really like that. It's got the red LED that flashes on the back of the battery pack. So if you do keep the battery pack on the back, what I really like is if it's really cold temperatures and you're doing nighttime running, I know this is going to get away from the red LED, what I'm going to mention next, but the trail runner comes with an extension lead that allows you to unclip the battery pack. That can The one I've mentioned has three AA batteries, but you can buy a rechargeable battery for it, but let's just stick with the three AA's. If I then drop that battery pack on the long lead into an inside pocket, it's got a lead long enough to do that. The battery's close to my body and now nice and warm it's going to improve the battery life. And because I do a lot of nighttime events, I, for some strange reason, I get involved with these ultra events and nighttime running. Keeping the batteries lasting longer is obviously important. So just having something where you can drop the battery pack. Plus, um, doing that takes a bit of the weight off. The, not that it's very heavy, but then you've got no weight on the back of your head because the, the battery pack's dropped on this extension lead. Fantastic. And both those um, have quite a, like an adjustable, you can adjust the lumens on each of them, can't you? As yeah, well. so on both of those, um, so the Nebo one, you can get like a 15 hours battery potentially when you set it to 80 lumens. And the Silver one does a 15 hours as well. It's a slightly lower 50 lumens, but when you're just wanting people to see you and looking right down in front of you or looking in your rug, like a lot of the time you know might be the moons out things were mentioned you have it down to that 50 lumens and you're only having it on the higher figure when you're doing that crucial navigation and looking ahead of yourself 
Fantastic. And then some top tips for using head torches. We sat down and thought, right, what, what have we learned over the years from using head torch? First thing is, with everything, practice, practice, practice. So don't be scared of going out and walking in the dark, Andy. Yeah, I've been out with friends who've got a new head torch and as we're walking, they said, oh, how do I get the brighter? Oh, what have I done now? Oh, why is it went dim? And they're fiddling about with the buttons, which, you know, that's what you do. But practice at home first. Practice, you know, I'd practice in my back lane, putting my bins out with my torch. Oh, let's see what it's like. Oh, full brightness, looking up the street dimmer have a play about and i think anything before you go on a hike make sure that it's working um before you go you know you've had it in your rucksack for a few months take it out just check it's all okay and the other thing is uh, my second top tip there is have it as low brightness as you can get away with so as we've discussed the lower you have the brightness the better your battery life quite significant i'm just looking at some figures say the nebo 400 lumens is two hours where alternatively at 80 lumens it's 15 hours isn't it so yeah, that so kind of really puts the whole thing it's the comparison. same with the silver you get i mean i've had more than the two hours there quote and yeah. bear in mind it doesn't just suddenly die um, I can't yeah. remember on the Nebo top of my head, but with the silver on the boxes, the quarter figure where it's 20 hours and like really long, it's basically saying it will still be given out light. It's just not nowhere near the full lumen. So I've never had mine just last the minimum. But yeah, um, that is an important thing. You don't, you know, you get the torch, put it on full brightness. Oh, that's lovely. I can see miles ahead. Do you always need it on full brightness and knock it down? If you get familiar with it before you go, you can practice with the button so you know what you need to do when you need to get it back on to... Exactly what you were saying, you know, if you're kind of going through somewhere that's awkward underfoot, have it on a brighter setting. If it's good underfoot, just bring it down and have it as dim as, as possible to keep that battery there. And that kind of moves on quite nicely, which is carry your spare batteries or even a head torch yeah. with you. Um, some of the events I've done, they've actually recommended you take two head torches, I suppose, in case something does happen. On your foot, you stumble, you crack the glass, you break it. Um, you know, if you are doing serious events um, or any events, really, it's not a bad thing to have two torches, have a spare one. But the most important one's got to be batteries. You know, check what batteries it takes. Check your batteries before you go. Put a spare set of batteries in. Um, if it's one with a rechargeable battery, do you buy a second rechargeable? Um, I know with the silver one, the nice thing is we have the option where you can carry three AAs and have the rechargeable battery. So carry a spare set of triple A's, make sure they come out a new pack and they're not batteries you've had lying around for ages, you know? And my other top tip is if you're doing an event or going out and you know you're going to be using it a lot, even if you've not had it uh, on, on like maybe for just two or three hours, just change the batteries. Batteries are nominal cost. There's nothing worse than you're in the middle of the night and suddenly you're going to start changing batteries, especially you've only got one head torch and that's your only source of light so again if you are doing an event or you think right i'm going to be out for a lot of the time in darkness just either charge your your head torch if you can or alternatively put in some new batteries and while we're talking about batteries i'm, I'm jumping one of the points just because it's probably in the right order if you if you sorry not if when you've got your spare batteries best place if you can is keep if you've got an inside pocket in your coat keeping an inside pocket warm batteries are always better than cold batteries if it's a freezing cold night and your spare batteries at the top of your rucksack and when you get them out they feel really cold they're not going to last as long if you keep your spare batteries just in an inside pocket next to your body keep them lovely keep the keep them toasty keep your batteries um warm they're going to work better when you put them in the unit that's brilliant and then the final thing is yeah store your uh, head torch somewhere where you know it is easy to get access to some the top of your rucksack or top pocket or something like that. there's no nothing worse than burying it at the bottom thing i'll never need that and then when it goes dark you can i need my head torch and you're scrambling around for it so keep it nice and handy and, and again be prepared so if you are going into the dark and you can think right i'm going to go into the dark why don't you put your head torch on when it's still day? i was going to say that that last time um 
I did a, um, it wasn't, I don't think it was on my Montana, I can't remember what I did there, but when I went out with a friend of mine, probably same time of year as we're in now, um, we opened the Cheviot and it was getting to that three o'clock in the afternoon where I was just starting to get a bit, uh, you know, not dark and you think, and I know I've got another couple of hours, but actually while we've stopped for food, oh, there's my head torch at the top, I'll put it on now so it was ready because it did just, it's, up in the same area you're talking where Catherine's farm is and all of a sudden it's just like it goes from as if someone's turned the light switch off you know it didn't seem to gradually go I didn't think it did it just suddenly was pitch black yeah it's funny on the walk and talk I did with the Garmin GPS map 66 I had a second one I I ended up walking in the dark uh, just down to uh, well the route being blocked and I very much show that in the video you're like it's starting to go dark let's just stop regroup get yourself ready to walk in the dark which in, in this was um December time uh, between Christmas and New Year which means like no hat on you know down jacket on get yourself nice and warm make sure you're dry head torch on and be prepared and it's far easier to do that in daylight as Andy rightly says than waiting half an hour later and then scrambling around in the dark and uh, and and losing your hat or losing whatever your gloves or something like that which I've done in the past so yeah get your gloves on and things but like when I was doing my mountain spine I've told the story before I had a little stumble and I tripped uh, and I'd taken a wrong turn and some thorny uh a tree, a thorny tree caught me hat and whipped me head torch off and I was there going what do I do now a head torch was dangling but it wasn't pointing where I wanted the light to be um, but I do have a Garmin watch with the torch on so we'll talk mm-hmm. about that another day but it was uh, it was not very funny when it suddenly went into pitch blackness very good so that kind of just nicely goes over some of the things you should be looking at for more information uh, we're doing an article on our website there's actually also a youtube film that relates to it which is looking at the best outdoor head towards for walking hiking and trail running so what i'll do in the in, in the notes for the podcast i'll put a link into that and have a look at that and if you get any questions don't hesitate and get in touch next thing on this month's gps training podcast is last month garmin hit 10,000 Garmin InReach SOS instance. So I put this in the newsletter uh, just last week and uh, it's quite interesting really to kind of see uh, uh, what what people are using the InReach technology for. So first of all, Andy, quickly, what is Garmin InReach technology? So InReach is a satellite technology from Garmin where you have a subscription, so you pay a subscription that covers for the emergency monitoring station and towards the Iridium satellites that this system uses. So InReach um, is built into certain Garmin units that we're going to talk about. Um, satellite subscription, so you pay a subscription, use globally, so anywhere in the world. I know there's certain restrictions in some countries, but basically it's a global product where wherever you are in the world, if you come into difficulty and you're paying the subscription, you've got an SOS button that you can press that summons emergency help. You can send and receive text messages using satellites when you're off grid and got no mobile to friends and family so they know where you are. Could be a simple check-in message. Friends and family can also, if you're paying the right subscription, track where you are and see you moving across a map. But again, all of this is using satellites. So when you're off the grid and got no mobile phone reception, no internet reception, friends and family know where you are. The most important thing has got to be for me though, the peace of mind, the SOS button that we're going to talk about saves lives at the end of the day. Excellent. And what GPS units can do we get this uh, built in on? Yeah, so currently we've got handheld units that actually have the function built into the handheld unit that we use for navigation. So it's the GPS map 66i. When you get the I at the end of the part number, that tells you it's an in-reach product. So GPS map 66i, GPS map 86i, and then in the Montana range, we've got the Montana 700i, and the 750i 
and then the two when we say standalone products they're just not the full-blown color maps and uh really navigate full navigational tools it's the smaller what we call just the the, the simple inReach products we have the inReach mini one that's now been superseded by the new inReach mini 2 and we have the brand new inReach messenger so that's the current products that we've got excellent it is older products on the market from when Garmin took over, it was the lawn that originally did in which some customers might have a Garmin product that was sort of in that period when they were taken over to lawn. So there is a few older products, but they're the current products at the moment. Excellent. So what Garmin did um, last month, they released um, the figures of what people are using this for. So the first one they said, what are people doing? What activity are they doing when they trigger the SOS? So overwhelming 39% of SOS triggers with adventures who are out hiking or backpacking. So that's um, a big a big part of what people who are listening to podcasts uh, do. So it's quite a high percentage there. There, um, The next ha- highest one, which was an interesting one, I, don't know if you, I never thought this was diving instance, isn't it? So people who are diving. Is it tw- driving? I thought it's a driving. Oh, driving. I said it's a driving instance. It does. Yes, sorry. Yes, it does. Um, I tell you what made me think of the driving. Driving, yes, yeah, sorry. Driving, I was thinking of. I've got a lot of motorcyclists who they're going um, trail riding. So I wonder if that comes within the driving, or people who are in again because it's a worldwide product. You go off on a road trip in another country where it might have limited mobile communication. That's all I could think. When I saw you know what's funny? This it's, it's, the article says interesting. The next highest SOS triggers twelve percent comes from driving instance, proving that they don't they don't have to be stuck on a rocky cliff or lost at sea to hit the SOS button. See, I've had customers who have purchased <laughs> off us and actually said they are hikers and walkers, but they've questioned me about oh if I was in the car. I won't get rescued because I'm not in the hills. That's not the case. That yeah. SOS button is there when you've got no signal. Or it could be something's happened and something, you know, if you've had a, an accident, let's hope yeah. it doesn't happen and your phone's got bashed or broken. It doesn't matter. They don't say, oh, you're in a car. We can't come and rescue yeah. you. It's like if we were in Great Britain and I was on a road, I know motorcyclists have said this to me. If they press the SOS, the emergency response station would know you're on a road from your satellite signal mm-hmm. and you're more than night then they're going to send police and ambulance whereas when they know you're in the hills that's when they look at sending out mountain rescue you mm-hmm. know so mm-hmm. i was surprised at the figure but i know i have got customers who say that yeah. it doesn't i do take it in the car with me because i know if something was to happen and there's a lot of places especially in, in, in this country you're driving there's there's no mobile phone network is there? that's the reality there's a lot of areas oh, God, where, yeah. where there's yeah. where there's yeah. miles and miles and miles so if something happens during that situation you do need actually help. my apologies because i've just seen motorcycling as one of the is this the is next, the next thing. One. i was thinking it was lumped together so i can sort of understand a bit about the driving and i certainly know um the third one then the motorcycle and i've got a lot of our customers who use the montana on their motorbike for navigation but they've bought it with the sos button in case something was to happen on the bike um, they've got that function of pressing the sos button and then that's it so the first one's hiking backpacking second most uh, used one is driving third one motorcycling and then climbing and mountaineering and then finally the fifth place is boating but there's lots of other ones as well snowboarding hunting camping off-roading skiing snowboarding paddle sports horse riding work related dirt bike cycling sailing paragliding etc etc so, yeah. I, thought, I thought there would have been more boating, you know, because I'm I would have thought, out though. to sea. Um, I know there's other devices that people have on their boats, but, you know, when you said about diving, I didn't look with a strange look there because 
I know Garmin do for the smaller inReach Mini. They do like a waterproof bag, mm-hmm. if I remember right. Or they certainly do a float for it. And the mm-hmm. idea is it's not going to work when you're underwater. But yeah, just so if someone's tracking, the, you, they'll see where you last were above the water. And you can put them in a waterproof bag with a float. And then again, if you were to come to the surface and something happened, you have got that SOS button. So it's not a... It's not making a joke about, oh, you wouldn't use it for diving because you're underwater. I know divers will mm-hmm. purchase the product, you know. Exactly right. And it's divers like, often can come up where they don't think they're going to come up and suddenly, like, they don't know where they are. So it's kind yeah, of so I don't see it. It's just you're going to have it in a waterproof bag, you know, that's designed for going underwater for diving, you know. So the next question that was asked was, what are people triggering an SOS for? So the top reason for the inReach triggering the SOS is, of course, injuries. 30% of these these injuries um, refer to a variety of problems, include broken bones, lacerations, or blunt force trauma from a fall. The second most popular reason for triggering the SOS was, which was 17%, is for medical issues. They refer to concerns of altitude sickness, heart problems, uh, and, and yeah, other such things. As so, the the list of why people are um, are, do, uh, are activating is injuries number one, medical issue number two. Vehicle accidents, the vehicle one now comes back yeah. again, doesn't he? Stranded or stuck is the fourth, and then vehicle issues is fifth. So, yeah. I'm vehicle. surprised at the vehicle issue. How would they deal with a vehicle issue? Because I, I don't want to, you know, I wouldn't have thought that would be something that would be classed as a, you know, emergency response. That's an, I'd be interested to know how they deal with that. I mean, I understand 100% the injuries, medical issues, and stranded and stuck. That's what it's there for, but I'm surprised at that vehicle issue. Excellent. So um, the next question they asked was, who are people triggering an SOS for? So um, yeah, the, the, the majority is, is for themselves, uh, which is, is, is the largest percentage, and then people within their party. So there's with people within the party is near enough the same, um, the same amount. And third party people, self and party, and then of course others. So again, people are using them coming across accidents or across people in distress and using the inReach technology to, to help that person yeah, as well. I've right? had some customers purchase off us who have said they're in a walking group and what they do is one of them pays the subscription, but they all go out on a regular basis together. So they always make sure they'll have their own rules of who's bringing it with them and they all just chip in for the subscription, which is a, um, a good idea yeah. at the end of the day. So if you are walking with a group, that sounds a, a good option as a, a kind of to conclude from that. You know, you, you are walking with a group, why don't you protect yourself and the other people with you by looking at one of the Garmin inReach GPS units. So again, it's, it's quite interesting to, to see, um, again, we mainly look at it for the walking or the hiking front, but it's quite nice to see that uh, people are using them all over the world for different activities. Yeah, land or sea. Land yeah. Or sea. To find out more about the Garmin Reach devices, please just go to our website, which is gpstraining.co.uk, click on GPS Store, and then two-way satellite communication. The next thing on this month's GPS Training podcast is Andy's top tips. So, Andy's top tips, um, you've got two, uh, a Phoenix and an InReach top tip have you this month, Andy? I have, yes. So, something that, I've got a lot of friends who have got Phoenix watches and the most thing, the, the biggest question I get asked when we're out walking with our Phoenixes is um, the press the back button when they're not interested in recording a lap, especially when you're hiking or walking. So if you don't know when you've got a Phoenix watch, so I'm using the Phoenix 7 range, the same would be on the Phoenix 6, you'll be able to do this. When you're out hiking, um, the back button 
is actually a lap button so every time you press it, it goes you've done another lap you've done another lap where i like that back button which is why i'm going to mention this tip and i have it turned off if i'm hiking or walking running trail running i've got all my data boxes on the phoenix watch where i scroll through them i can see a map information about how fast i'm going heart rate and everything but then i want to just go back to the watch to look at the time mm -hmm. i want to scroll through some of the standard widgets like bring up the compass because i haven't set it as a data field for, the, for that activity all the normal things you see when it's a watch and you're not recording because I turn off the lap button, it means I just press the back button. That doesn't stop you recording. But instead of recording a lap, it just goes back to the watch face. I can look at the time. One simple press of my back button then brings me back to my activity recording pages. So you're not stopping the recording. So I like having it turned off because I get so many of my friends got I'm sick of accidentally pressing that back button. I thought it would take me back out to look at something. So on a Phoenix watch, and I'm pretty sure this will work on your instinct as well. I go into whatever activity I'm doing, so say it was hike, I use the top right hand button, one press, and then I scroll down until I see the activity I wanna turn off the lap button for. I don't then go into that activity, I just leave that as the main one in the center of the screen. And then you hold the middle left menu button in and you get the option of, so say you want hike, it will be hike settings or run settings. And when you select that and then scroll down, one of the options is lap key, which is normally on as default. And when you press the start, stop, top button, you can turn that off and then just keep backing out of the settings. And then basically when you're doing an activity, let's just say trail running is one of my popular ones. I start the recording and then any time I press my back button, instead of doing a lap, it takes me to the watch face. Oh yeah, that's the time. I can then look at some of the other screens you'd normally see from the watch face. And then when I'm going to go back to the activity pages, I just touch the back button again. Brilliant. Really good top tip. It did make a big difference because otherwise you have to start getting mobile phone out and things to find out what time it is because you can't find the time you yeah. want. Can you? <laughs> I know you can set that up as a data field, but I don't need no, to no, bother because no. I just get it out. With my eyesight, I like to see a big watch face. So yep. it's just simple. Fantastic. The next top tip is for in-reach messengers. Yeah, I've had a, um, some of the customers who have bought our first um, um, stock of in-reach messengers have come back to me and said they've noticed that on the in-reach messenger, so this is the new little square box messenger, it only has a small LCD screen, so it's not really sold necessarily for navigation, but it does have a feature where it'll record where you are every 10 minutes, and then at any time you can say, do a basic track back, and you get a little pointer pointing back to the next point and then back to the next point. Now, a lot of customers have panicked thinking that meant they had to start tracking. So what the inReach has, we mentioned when we're talking about what inReach technology is, you can have a tracking so friends and family can see where you are, but that's something you normally pay for, i.e. if you've got one of the mid packages, it's free. If you've got one of the basic safety packages, it's 10 pence a track point. A lot of customers have panicked thinking, oh, if I want to do the track back, I have to start tracking in the unit. You don't. So it's a strange tip because I'm not actually getting you to do anything. I'm stopping you doing something. If you're worried about when you turn your unit on and you think, I do want to potentially use that emergency track back because I forgot to bring my standard navigational handheld GPS or mm -hmm. something like a Phoenix watch, you don't have to start tracking. So if you're not someone who's paying a subscription and wants to start tracking, the minute you turn it on, it does need to be turned on. That's important. As soon as you start walking, it automatically records a point every 10 minutes. And from what I've read, in the spec it'll go up to 24 hours and then just go on top of itself so you don't need to start tracking if you want to use that function for track back and there's videos 
on the online training course. If you purchase the unit from us, of course, you get these videos free for a year on using your messenger device where I do talk about that and show you the trackback function. That's fantastic. So to find out more top tips, please do sign up for the GPS training online resource that Andy was just talking about. It's packed full of top tip videos. Just go to our website, which is gpstraining.co.uk and click on online resource on the top menu bar. And finally, many thanks for listening to this month's GPS training podcast. If there's any subjects you'd like to cover in the future, please do get in touch. And please do give us a, 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 call, a call in the future, especially if you're thinking about buying a new GPS unit. Please do take a look at both our GPS physical courses and also our online trainings. Just go to our website, which is gpstraining.co.uk and click on online courses. Please do tell our friends about the GPS training podcast and encourage them to subscribe on whatever platform they are listening to podcasts on. And if you can give us a five-star rating and leave us a snazzy review, that is also very much appreciated. So many thanks, Andy, for joining me again Thank on you. this month's GPS training podcast. Have you got much on over the coming week, Andy? I'm doing a half marathon, hopefully on Sunday. Off-road so, half marathon. Off-road in the hills, yeah. <laughs> if me, I've got a bit of a dodgy knee at the minute, so I'm just hoping it's going to be better. It um, is Wednesday, to, uh, Tuesday, Tuesday today. Is, it's so Tuesday I've today. got a little bit of time. It is. Just plenty of painkillers and strap it up, it'll be all right. It's quite a lot of climbing on this. Yeah, I haven't, I, I try not to look at that. <laughs> I don't want to put myself off, but it's fun actually to see a half marathon and then sneak a, it's a half marathon-ish, because it's about 14 miles, I think. Right, okay. And it's in the hills, and I'll have my head torch with us. Very good. Hopefully I won't need it, because I've only got, um, I think there's four hours to do it in, which would be, of course, ample for a normal half marathon, yeah. but of course it is up in the hills, but I'm hoping to be within the four hours. So I think we start at nine o'clock. Okay. So, so really, right. I don't think it'll be dark at one o'clock, okay. but I will still have it with me. Just in case. Well, best of luck for the half marathon on Sunday. And many thanks, everybody, for listening to this month's GPS Training Podcast. Thanks for listening to the GPS Training Podcast, the monthly podcast keeping you up to date with everything in the world of outdoor GPS navigation.